Okay, I guess that means we can start. <laughs> We've been up here having a nice little conversation. So I'm happy today to be joined by Dan Schulman, who you all know has been the president and CEO of PayPal since 2014. Um, Dan joined PayPal following the announcement of its separation from eBay, and since then, he's continued to focus on growing the business, democratizing, and transforming financial services and e-commerce. And he's a good friend, and I appreciate always that we get to do these things. And Me too, I appreciate David. your being together. Me too. So, Let's, let's just kind of strategically, let's start up at a high level. PayPal was founded back in 1998, and you've added half of your 400 plus million total active accounts in just the last four and a half years. What have been some of the things that have really accelerated the growth of the platform? What's, what's really been the inflection point with digital payments, et cetera, that's really changed the trajectory of PayPal? Well, we actually put on uh, 110 million net new actives uh, in seven quarters. So January 2020 to uh, end of uh, last quarter. Um, and if you look at other metrics, I think it took us 20 years to get to 600 billion of TPV going through the platform. So here we are two years later, and I think we'll do somewhere around 1.25 trillion through the platform. So wow. doubled uh, in, uh, in two years. I think if you take a step back, uh, David, clearly um, the world had been moving towards digital slowly and steadily. Uh, each and every year, you would add another point or two of, uh, of overall retail moving to, uh, to digital, to e-commerce. But during the pandemic, I mean, that accelerated three to five years. Um, and so I think... Uh, this year, you'll probably have about 25% of uh, retail sales uh, being online. That's up from like 18 or so uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and so all things are moving digital. I mean, I think all of us uh, during the pandemic changed the way we work, um, whether we like it or not, um, uh, the way we live, uh, how we uh, access entertainment, how we access our healthcare, how we access education. Um, and that's happened clearly in digital payments as well. Sure. Clearly in all forms of retail. And I talked to the CEOs of almost every major retailer around the world. They are thinking full omni now. Like how do we engage with consumers digitally? Not how do we attract them to our store, but how do we engage with them digitally? And there's really a seamless nature between online and offline. And all of those things um, clearly benefit our growth. They're huge tailwinds yeah. uh, for us, and they will probably be in place for many years to come. Yeah, huge, huge secular tailwinds. You know, you've talked about your ambition to be a super app on mobile in an all-encompassing way embracing all aspects of personal and commercial life, kind of one of, you know, five to 10 platforms that people use on their, um, on their phone. Talk a little bit about why it's been difficult for these super app ecosystems to develop in the United States versus China. And what is it going to take for, you know, PayPal to really evolve, you know, into that place? Yeah. I think there's a little bit of confusion over kind of what I think um, like a financial services super app 
will look like and what is a super app in China. Um, first of all, China developed out of, uh, you know, out of social media, you know, WeChat Pay, every aspect of somebody's uh, online life goes through those platforms. Right. And as you know, there is no real POS uh, systems in China, uh, no real credit and QR codes exploded there and people started using their phone for, for every transaction online. I mean, I'm sure everybody here has been to China uh, numerous times as, as we have. I mean, you go into a, into a store or a push cart, it's all done digitally. Every single thing is done digitally. It's very different than how the system evolved here in the States. But I think it's very clear that in the States right now and in other developing parts of the world that previously disparate parts of our economy are becoming much more connected. Mm -hmm. And I believe that um, payments, basic financial services, like sort of commoditized, like banking services, sort of things like uh, high yield savings, checking, bill pay, those kinds of things. We can talk a little bit more about, you know, why I think those become white labeled, et cetera. And basic shopping tools, commerce tools, like creating wish lists, finding best deals, um, uh, having budgeting tools around. Those things are all combining into a single app for sure. And people don't want to have 25 different passwords, 25 different nav systems. They want to live their financial lives on an integrated app across those three disciplines, maybe more disciplines mm -hmm. uh, going forward. And I think the key is that they need to um, trust that brand. And, you know, we, PayPal is one of the most trusted brands in the world. It doesn't matter what uh, survey you look at morning consult just did uh, a survey of 300,000 consumers around the world. PayPal is the number two most trusted brand in the world. Um, I think it was time magazine just came out with the most trusted brands. PayPal uh, was one of those brands uh, on their uh, list as well. And so why do people trust us? Because one we're secure. And, you know, and, and when you log in, you know you're secure. We protect you. We protect your privacy. We don't sell uh, your information. And I think that that trust uh, and our obviously strengths in payments extending to other uh, disciplines now gives us a leg up as we move into this super app where you can live your financial life from inspiration uh, in terms of what inspires you to make a purchase to the purchase, to post-purchase throughout that. And that's where we want to become a super app around those disciplines. Yeah. You, talked, you talked a little bit just a couple of minutes ago about you know, what's going on, all the changes in the world and how it's affected all these businesses and all these platforms. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned because of all that during this period of time that has affected the way you're choosing to run PayPal and the way you're choosing to serve your customers? Yeah. Well, clearly I think there's more change going on in our industry today and over the next three to five years than we will have seen in the past 10 or 20 uh, years. Um, then not only are 
payments evolving rapidly. I mean, think about the phenomenon of buy now, pay later. The phenomenon of buy now, pay later is the first time that probably you and I both have seen in our careers where you had two things that were inextricably linked, a transaction and a payment that happened simultaneously. And those have now broken apart. You have a transaction and then the consumer figures out how they want to pay for it later on. Do they want to pay in four over time? Do they want to pay in four and then hit a snooze button and pay a little bit later? Do they want to split that transaction into a combination of paying with it with rewards points that are translated into fiat and fiat currency? Payments itself is radically uh, changing and we're investing a lot in that. Um, we think that checkout um, is not just um, a payment, it's also at the same time searching for the very best deal on that. Like we now, you know, uh, through our acquisition of Honey, can look through, you know, millions upon millions of SKUs instantaneously around uh, the internet to make sure that when somebody's buying on PayPal, they're getting the very best deal. And so it's a combination of investments that really go from, as I mentioned, inspiration, like mm -hmm. creating your wish list and having people retailers come and try and satisfy that to the purchase and then really all the post-purchase like returns, um, chargebacks, all of that. And we want to do that both on the consumer side and the merchant side. And there's so much opportunity on both of those sides. I mean, we're operating today in a hundred trillion dollar TAM. Not all of that is right. available to us, but it's increasingly opening up. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, we'll do 1.25 uh, trillion this year. I mean, it's, I mean, we have such little market share and at huge scale already, you know, we have 416 million uh, plus people on our platform. You know, we're gonna grow that uh, close to 55 million uh, this year alone while engagement is going up double digit. It's just investing around the pain points and where the industry is going. And the other thing we're doing a lot of investing in is looking at modernization of the infrastructure. As you and I have talked about, crypto 20 times, 30 times. Um, and um, I think the really interesting thing about that is if you think about what the future of the rails look like, um, it's very different five or 10 years from now than it is today. Eventually, let's call it five years, 10 years to take time out of the equation. All credit cards will be subsumed in mobile, right? You're not going to have a separate have form factor. Yeah. Yep. You're just going to have your mobile phone. And when you have a mobile phone and then you have POS point of sale, that's turning into a cloud-based um, device. That's not hardwired into uh, the networks. Uh, for instance, you can start to have, transactions that instead of P2P or P2M, person to merchant, that are radically different rails. And then even the way the infrastructure of the system works, if we use potentially DLT technology underneath, you know, we can make things faster. People can instantaneously access their money. We can take out a lot of intermediaries, make it a lot less costly. A lot of friction out. Absolutely. And it's just, um, I think we're working hard with regulators and central banks and FI partners to figure out what that future looks like and to help shape it. Yeah. So there's a lot that you said there that obviously 
should contribute to allowing the growth to continue. But are there, are there one or two factors you call out that you think are most important in allowing kind of the pace of growth that you've had to continue? For us, um, well, I think we never want to um, abandon our lead in checkout. Now, you know, I remember uh, Sundar um, telling me that their moonshot uh, inside Google was improving search. Um, it was, you know, not all these different things that they were going on. It was just making sure that nobody was ever better than they were uh, in search. And I feel the same way uh, in terms of checkout for PayPal. We are continually investing in that to make it best in class. Like today, probably not many people realize this. When you do a transaction on PayPal, we look obviously at your username and your password, but that's kind of jacks are better to sort of yeah. like open sort uh, things. We look at, you know, 200 plus different um, uh, indicators to decide instantaneously, is it you or not? We, I'm, we don't need username and password. Eventually that'll probably go away. Uh, to take a lot of friction out of the system. And we'll use all the different data points we have um, to create a frictionless uh, checkout experience. Right now, our checkout, um, as best we can tell, is about 34% more efficient um, than anyone else's checkout. That obviously matters a, a ton. Sure. We power a ton of different checkout uh, options as well. One out of every four um, transactions that go through like platforms like a Shopify are powered by PayPal. Um, and we power a lot of like Facebook and Insta and, uh, and other uh, realms as well. You know, most of what goes through an Uber or an Airbnb comes through our platform, uh, even though they're checking out. So that's gonna be a big element for us. We also have a ton of opportunity to expand internationally. I mean, you know, we did this payday acquisition in Japan um, most people thought it was because we we're buying buy now, pay later, uh, uh, pay later player, um, the leading one in Japan. Yes, they have great buy now, pay later capabilities. But what I love about Payday um, is that um, they are wired into all the convenience stores in Japan. And 70% of all online transactions in Japan are still paid for in cash. Right. People go to the convenience store, they pay like in monthly installments, um, and Payday has got that connectivity. And it enables us to not just do cross-border uh, in Japan, but really go hard and heavy into the Japanese domestic market, which is the third or fourth largest e-commerce market in the world. And it gives us, we're in the top 10 marketplaces, Japan, 700,000 merchants, 6 million registered users, um, and you combine it with our PayPal assets in Japan. So it's a very compelling uh, proposition. We're working with a lot of now uh, financial institutions inside Japan to see how we can create an ecosystem to really drive growth. And so I think for me, the big thing that I spend a lot of time on is what are we not going to do? Um, because I want to do four or five things extraordinarily well and do a great job at those and then take on the next things that come. I mean, our cup runneth over in terms of opportunities, but we need to be very focused. Uh, we have a set of four or five priorities and 
we're laser focused laser on focused executing on. on those. Yeah. So shift gear, talk a little bit about the business and partnerships. You know, you've gotten a lot of questions over the years about your relationship with Amazon, given their size in the e-commerce world. And on your last earnings call, you announced a significant partnership to integrate pay with Venmo into Amazon checkout that we've just been talking about. Talk a little bit about what it took to get to this point and what you expect, how you expect this or what impact you expect this will have both directly on your business as well as the competitive positioning of PayPal and Venmo. Yeah. I think the first thing um, that had to happen on the Amazon side is we had to uh, uh, run out the operating agreement with uh, eBay. Right. Um, we had several uh, large competitors to eBay that we were prohibited from um, uh, kind of doing the most advanced integrations uh, in terms of payments uh, with. And um, so we always, knew that there's the possibility of working with Amazon once that uh, happened. Certainly uh, the scale of, uh, of a Venmo, 80 million plus people just here in the States, that'll expand as we move that internationally as well. Um, and just the overall scale of, of PayPal um, opened up a lot of conversations. Um, and, um, you know, just to give you an idea, like we, um, when we integrate with Amazon on Venmo, Amazon is what, something like 40% of the market here in the US. So that means there's like 60% of the market outside of them. Um, it would have taken us um, something like 80% integration with all other merchants um, that were outside of Amazon for us to get the same coverage with pay with Venmo uh, that we did uh, partnering with Amazon. So it's obviously uh, a meaningful, very meaningful thing in, in terms of the uh, monetization of Venmo, which is already going extremely well and be transaction margin positive this year, which is a major uh, step forward for the amount of money that we've been investing uh, uh, into uh, Venmo. But there are a lot of other things that are like beyond the Amazon. I mean, one of the things that you know, we spoke about it kind of briefly uh, on our earnings call, but yeah, we've developed a much more integrated partnership with Walmart. Um, you know, we uh, used to be on just parts of their, uh, of their different services. We're now much more integrated into their groceries and other, into their marketplaces. Um, and, you know, you look at the integration with DoorDash and uh, and a bunch of other of the leading uh, players out there. That's kind of what happens when you start to, you know, have scale uh, that we do have a, a lot of services drive incremental sales right. for merchants because of the conversion rate uh, of our checkout. Um, and so I think, um, you know, I'm really pleased with the partnerships that we've done. And if you think about FIs, because we've had a lot of partnerships with financial institutions around the world, we're probably the largest digital distribution channel for most banks. Um, if you remember like pre-choice, mm -hmm. pre, you know, pre-Dan Schulman and Charlie Scharf, you know, <laughs> you know, coming to a detente, um, um, you know, we had the banks that were wondering like, were we friend or, uh, 
or enemy. Once we declare choice, you know, something happened that you would never have imagined, you know, banks started paying their customers and sending their customers to put their cards on PayPal yeah. because we drive we got travel. tremendous amount of traffic. I mean, yeah. 1.25 trillion cars. We will be, you know, probably the largest customer of the networks yeah. by, by quite a bit. Right. Um, and that's a very different place than we were uh, five years ago. Yeah. So two pieces of business have gotten a lot of attention over the year have been buy now, pay later, and also the cryptocurrency integration. So talk about the value proposition of buy now, pay later. Talk about payday. Um, and you know, I'm also curious about the opportunity for cryptocurrency and the integration of crypto you know, into the PayPal app. Talk about how you thought about that. Yeah. Well, buy now, pay later uh, is exploding. Um, you know, I think, uh, I talked about this like, on uh, with Jim Cramer last week or something. Um, we did over a billion dollars of TPV on Buy Now Pay Later uh, in November. First time we've crossed a billion uh, in a month. We did over a million first time users coming on to Buy Now Pay Later uh, in November. Um, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we're close to or over billion uh, in December um, as well. It's just continuing uh, to take off. We just launched in Italy and Spain. I'm really pleasantly surprised how quickly those are taking off um, as well. And so I think our value proposition is probably second to no one um, in buy now pay later. It's why you know our growth, we grew four times Black Friday versus uh, Black Friday a year ago. And that's great growth at quite big volumes. Um, and it's because we have a great proposition for consumers, no late fee, um, and, um, uh, and a very high approval level. Like we have 400 million plus people. We know the people who are coming on. By the way, the difference between approval rate for somebody you've never seen and for somebody you've seen quite a bit, it's a massive difference. Massive difference and so yeah. our approval rates are much higher, which by the way, is very attractive to retailers um, as well, because the average cart size of a retailer goes up by 37% when somebody does buy now, pay later. It's mm -hmm. massive change uh, for them. And so no late fee, which is very different than a lot of the competitors out there where some of the original uh, players have 60 to 65% of their revenues coming from late fees. And I feel like late fees are not consumer friendly and may eventually be regulated out anyway um, uh, um, as, as we look forward. And then on the merchant side, we have no incremental fee for merchants to, to uh, implement um, buy now, pay later. We basically make all of our money on the halo effect. Um, there's a, on average a 21% increase in, uh, in TPV uh, for us, of which 90% plus is uh, incremental uh, for us. So buy now, pay later, exploding. And I really do think that the gist of that is gonna continue. Like we'll put longer ter term installment plans in place so people can do um, larger purchases uh, using buy now, pay later. And really our, our history you know, of 
extending loans and credit really and, and knowing customers and having all that data and information gives us a tremendous leg forward uh, on that. Um, crypto. Um, but I think about crypto in uh, four different ways. Um, I think of crypto as an asset, which is buy, hold, sell crypto. Um, and that's obviously exploding on our platform. I mean, when you have as many customers as we do, when you add a new feature and service, you just get a lot of scale. Yep. You just get a lot of scale. And, you know, um, we're fortunate in that. And we're fortunate that we created a, a really a beautiful experience. If somebody wants to try to purchase crypto for the first time, um, and you know, it well exceeded our expectations, probably two or three times what we were expecting when we went into it. But I think about, and we'll expand and expand to the UK, we're expanding limits, we'll expand to other countries, we'll work hand in hand with regulators in every one of those countries before we expand it uh, there. But I think of that truthfully as the least interesting part of crypto. It's, you know, the fascination of whether yep. Bitcoin will be 100,000 or 50,000, I, I really don't engage uh, in that. And I was on television this morning. I said the same thing. Yeah. I, really, I really don't care. Yeah, no, it, exactly. It's kind of interesting. Um, what I think is interesting is can crypto add utility to payments? Like I think programmable money is actually quite interesting. Um, I think being able to digitize assets um, is quite interesting as well. Um, and so I think there's incremental utility that, um, that the underlying technology can provide to payments. And I, I find that to be interesting, as do a lot of uh, other FIs and central banks and other payments companies. The third thing is um, CBDCs, central bank issued digital currencies and stable coins two different forms of currencies. Um, I tend to think they'll coexist with each other to some extent. 80% of the world's central banks are looking very carefully at central bank issued uh, digital currencies. We are in conversations with most of them. We're in deep conversations with most of the uh, uh, think tanks that are working with the central banks. Um, we pulled together a full business unit to think about the underlying infrastructure. Um, and then the fourth thing is, can we modernize the infrastructure? Can we put in DLT technology to create a more inclusive financial system? Because right now the financial system is pretty exclusive. Like the take rate, you know, is about 2.8% around the world. But if, but if you don't have a lot of money or you're outside the system, take rates for can be, you know, a thousand basis points, not 280. Um, and it can take too long to get your money still here in the US. Yeah, if I cash a check, it can take me three to five days to get my to get my money. If I send an international remittance, it can take a week. If you do that digital wallet to digital wallet, that international remittance, you do that transaction in seconds. And instead of that transaction costing 800 basis points, it costs 200 basis points or less. And that's kind of the promise of digital technologies, digital wallets. Um, you can do things faster, take friction out of the system uh, and have it be more efficient and maybe even add a modicum of financial health to those who, who most need it.
So when I when I listen to all that, the natural question I've got to ask about that we've talked about a bunch is just financial services and regulation. They obviously go, you know, hand in hand. Talk about your approach to working with regulators and how you think the regulatory landscape looks for the fintechs and for new products like buy now pay later and crypto. Yeah. Well, I think um, uh, first of all, the landscape is moving extraordinarily quickly, which puts pressure on. Uh, on regulators and governments and all of us as we think about all of the responsible innovation that we need to do as, as we look forward. But look, I don't really understand any FinTech that can say, you know, we're gonna like kind of look at the regulatory things and innovate. It's all financial services will be regulated and are regulated. And there is not a thing you can do without having regulatory approval. Yep. It's like as simple as that. Like all of the, the crypto, I, I, there's no way that governments give up control uh, of that. No way whatsoever. Um, and so- Amazing that argument has any meaningful airtime. It's, it's just not, it's a fantasy. Yep. Um, and, um, and so like when I came into PayPal, we had 120 people focus on risk and compliance. Today, we have over 4,000 people focus on risk and compliance. To me, being best in class or attempting to be best in class at risk and, and compliance, having a great relationship with regulators and law enforcement around the world is foundational. That, without that, you will not expand as uh, a player in the financial services arena. Uh, to me, that is a the reason I've invested so much in that. Um, and you know, we've talked about this, like like the number of people we have. Like we work under yeah. sixty seven different regulatory frameworks across the world. Um, we have to be we have to be excellent at it. Um, you know, we both know we try to be perfect at it. We're not always perfect at it. Can't be perfect at it. But that is like the expectation. And so you have to constantly be upping your game on it. Um, but we will never skimp on uh, being compliant, working hand in hand with regulators, also pushing them to be sure that, you know, you can do responsible innovation. I mean, that is our jobs, you and me, to think about where is the world going and how do we help shape that future hand in hand with regulators. We can't do it outside of that, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good answer. And, and, you know, just a lot more evolution coming you know, with all that's, that's going on. No question. Yep. So just here, we're getting to the, the point to, you know, where we're, where we're gonna wrap up, but I just thought the last thing I wanna ask you broadly, you're doing so much innovation with technology and really trying to use technology to influence consumer behavior, adapt to consumer behavior, mm -hmm. to take friction out, et cetera. What advice do you have for financial services companies broadly, for the industry broadly at a high level that are trying to become leaders and utilizing technology in the business and anticipating how technology is gonna change consumer behavior? What's the big picture advice around this broad shift that we've been, we've been talking about? Um, I'm trying to end on something big and yeah, yeah, I see more grandiose. You, I see what you're doing here. Um, I think the hardest part for all of us is consumer needs are evolving 
quite rapidly and they're changing quite rapidly. And none of us, you can't and I can't do it by ourselves. So the question is, how do we take the best of our respective platforms and bring them together to satisfy both merchant and consumer needs? Um, for instance, you know, I'm of the opinion that there are commoditized sorts of services inside banks, mm -hmm. uh, and there's some very differentiated areas. When something becomes commoditized, <clears throat> then distribution, like massive distribution, is important because your margins are low, so you want the maximum amount of distribution. And platforms like PayPal can be massive distribution mechanisms for commoditized basic financial services. But that means we need to figure out kind of what are the interfaces between our platforms? What does the financial models look like for our platforms? How do we think about customer um, uh, interactions? Like before there were digital wallets, there were leather wallets, right? Leather wallets, like there, was, there wasn't a Bank of America leather wallet, right? I, I remember talking to Brian Moynihan about this. He was like, like, I love being in, inside your digital wallet. I never thought I needed to control the leather wallet. And, and the digital wallet needs to be a container that allows a customer to choose between any FI that they want and any service they want. And so that means that we have to work with banks and financial institutions around the world. And banks need to think about what platforms are they going to create and who are they going to partner with as well on different things and where is their differentiation. In terms of like the tech, we are all going to be moving much more into um, machine learning worlds um, and uh, creating unique experiences for every customer based on data and information. There's no question as we move into five or 10 years from now, you're going to be in the beginnings of a quantum world that does kind of radically change the processing power. We live in a world where our exhaust in terms of data is unbelievable. When we go into a 5G world and we go into an IoT world because you know you don't need the battery life anymore, yeah. the IoTs because processing is pushed to the edge going to release a tremendous amount of data. You'll have refrigerators ordering payments for, you know, empty things. So that's going to change the world as well. And so it's really exciting to think about it. I think the biggest thing is how do we partner together and, and how do we uh, uh, serve consumers and merchants uh, in ways that they expect from the, from the two of us and others. Yeah. Well, it's exciting times, a lot of good stuff ahead. As always, thank you, Dan, for spending time with us. You bet, thank David. You. Thank, thank you. you. Great Thanks, to see everybody. Thank you. Yeah.